Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back and we're going right to the phones where we're going to be joined by Nate Zelinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing great, and I'm so glad it's your segment because I tried to choke on my coffee, so I need somebody that can talk while I recover. And if anybody can do that, you can. Absolutely, Terry. I'm uh, happy to help you out in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, this, this weather, I was just telling Karen, I mean, this is like, this is Mother Nature's sign that hunting season is approaching this week with our opener to pronghorn. It's cloudy, it's cool. Fall is in the air if you're up in the mountains, per se. Uh, and I'll tell you, it's, it's finally here. You know, again, this is our, our final radio show, again, before the pronghorn season starts. So, again, I, I talk to people, and everybody is almost in panic mode saying that the season's trapped up on us because, you know, obviously a late spring, late start to uh, summer, you know, everything's just kind of been uh, kind of funky season. And I think a lot of people are kind of, you know, almost, again, kind of in shock and awe that the hunting season upon us. Well, you know, um, you know, you know Nate, I, I don't know if in the mountains, we even ever got summer. There's a lot of snow on the divide. That is for sure. That is for sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Absolutely. You know, and so just talking about that, you know, we always try to plan the, the segments to be current topics. That's kind of always the goal. It's what we've always done, especially me. Um, so with that being said, you know, I was actually hanging out at Bass Pro Denver this week, uh, getting some final things, you know, grabbing some new camo pants that I ripped during scouting and kind of doing all my final preps. And while hanging out in the archery department, you know, you, you see, you hear the talk, and, you know, I just kind of, you know, sat there and kind of observed some stuff. And a couple of the biggest things that I saw um, was, number one, obviously, people are running to the stores to buy product for the upcoming hunting season. The biggest thing we saw was with archery broadheads for the arrows, as well as muzzleloader supplies. It seems lately, and really this is really the last two years, um, that as muzzleloader grows, as the sport of, of shooting, you know, that muzzleloader, black powder, has increased uh, the product and supply and demand has somewhat you know had a hard time keeping up with that uh, if anybody shoots a muzzle or you know what I'm talking about finding bullets finding powder um, has been a little hard to find sometimes uh, a lot of these manufacturers are releasing them somewhat late they're really just getting on the shelves now as far as two or three of the main manufacturers go so I ran into a lot of guys that you know normally shoot a specific style bullet a specific weight bullet um they've been shooting it they're confident with that and they went to the store and they were sold out now instead of you know ordering or waiting for a new supply to come in a lot of guys were switching things up which obviously is okay as long as you have time and ability to really redial in uh but that's one of the biggest things that we're seeing is i saw a lot of guys that were out of stock on broadheads uh again they're restocking the shelves now guys at bass pro denver and i mean they have orders coming in every day to keep it in you know supplies up but I saw a lot of guys switching up things. Now, with that being said, you know, as you're close to the season, pronghorn's four days away, five days away, um, you know, muzzleloader essentially is a month away. Um, if you are going to switch things up, you need to make sure that you're going to have time to, to really try those things out. Make sure that everything is working. Uh, you know, muzzleloader bullets, by no means feet in that you're, you're rifling on your barrel the same. They don't shoot the same. They don't fly the same. Um, by no means is any muzzleloader bullet, you know, compared to equal brand to brand, even with inside the manufacturers, um, you know, die lot to die lot. You see a lot of different, um, you know, things happening within that in serial codes. So, Biggest thing, when you're purchasing this product right now, make sure you have time to reshoot, redial in, make sure that you are 
accurate and effective with this stuff. And the same type of thing with the, the archery equipment. I saw a lot of guys having debates on the aisle. Hey, should I shoot an expandable broadhead? Should I shoot a fixed head? And they're talking, uh, you know, as if very open-minded, but with the season literally days away for pronghorn and, and you know, less than a month away for, for elk and deer, um, now is not necessarily the, the ultimate time to be switching that. But if you do, make sure that you are shooting that equipment. So, I mean, very few bows out there shoot a broadhead and a steel tip identical. Um, you know, a lot of the Bowtech stuff where you can really adjust horizontal knock travel, binary system, you can get that technology to, to really shoot field tip and broadhead together. But a lot of manufacturers are going to be off just a little bit. So you can't assume by screwing on a broadhead that you're going to get perfect arrow flight, number one, and two, get it to hit where your field tips are shooting. So, again, if you, are, if you haven't tuned your bow for broadheads, if you haven't shot broadheads, if you even haven't purchased your broadheads yet, now is the time to test that and make sure that it shoots right. I mean, obviously, I think in the, the ultimate situation, if you buy broadheads, you want to shoot that through paper. You want to paper tune it, make sure that arrow is flying perfectly. Uh, for some reason, if you don't have ability to paper tune it, have somebody stand behind you and, and do a slow motion video on your smartphone of you letting an arrow fly and watch that arrow. Make sure that it is coming out straight, it is staying straight the entire time, and it is hitting straight. Um, you, know, you don't want any sway. You don't want you know that the tail, the vein sliding any direction. And then as it hits the target, those arrows should all be straight. You don't want any any angle compensation on that target if the arrow is not flying straight upon impact. So really, your projectile, bullet, arrow, right now is your time to make sure that you are dialed in because if it's not. Sometimes there is a somewhat lengthy process to get that dialed in and shooting right. Again, with a muzzleloader, you know, once you find a bullet that you like, you know, then you're adjusting powder. And I my powder to get my groups tighter. So I'll shoot a certain bullet, make sure I like that. I that bullet goes in my, you know, my rifling and my barrel, shoot it, like the bullet. Then I adjust my powder up and down, you know, two grains at a time until I get my groups as tight as possible. Same type thing with the broadhead. You know, you got your weight of your broadhead. Obviously, you got your style of your broadhead. You know, get everything flying true to where, again, we're trying to eliminate an, as many of the problems that can happen in the woods as possible now to where literally, hopefully, the only issue is you behind the trigger. Uh, again, you don't need any uh, any mechanical issues on top of uh, the nerves of a hunter when you're out there trying to take those, those, the, the final shot at those pristine moments. I want to put a quick plug in here for our friends at Colorado Clays, too. They're one of the few people that allow broadheads, I mean broadheads, that allow muzzleloaders on their range, and you can shoot from multi-position, from prone to sticks to standing to a, a bench. And they also have sighting clinics coming up. They're going to talk more about those later in the hour. So you muzzleloader shooters who are looking for a place to shoot a muzzleloader where you have some help, um, there will be a great place to maybe go, Nate. Absolutely. And I think that's huge because I think a lot of people, you know, again, I don't want to say that the day of the iron sight is, is gone, but so many people using a long gun, using a rifle are so used to using optics and a scope. And, you know, in Colorado having to use iron sights, um, there are open sights, I should say, you know, having that open sight law in there, I mean, it, it's, it's a whole new category. I mean, it's a whole new animal to deal with. And a lot of us hunters, I mean, you know, when you put a, a target out at, say, just say 100 yards for the sake of numbers, I mean, a lot of times that front round sight on open sights, I mean, it's almost as big as the target. And you're like, man, is that really me? And a lot of people don't understand how to adjust it. You know, they don't know which way to move that rear sight to get things dialed in. They don't know the left and right. They don't know about chasing the bullet. Um, so really, something like that to where you can have an expert uh, help you out. Again, that way your barrel's not getting hot. Obviously, 
I wouldn't say a, a muzzle loader is the most enjoyable of the firearms to shoot with the kick that it has. So if you can get dialed in in five, ten shots rather than 20, um, I think that's a very big benefit to you, the hunter. We don't want to be getting scared of our, of our firearms and, you know, getting really jumpy on the trigger. Um, so, yeah, getting dialed in to where you are shooting, you know, again, the, the tightest groups possible uh, to be able to make the most of your hunt out there. Because, again, we all know that things happen. Again, eliminating as many of those things as possible now is absolutely huge. You know, and we, uh, that's kind of one of the biggest things we're talking about. And we want you to know with confidence what your limitations are. I mean, if you're if you're comfortable at fifty to seventy five yards, don't take the hundred yard shot if you're just yep. taking a chance. Be ethical. The animal deserves that too. A hundred percent, Terry. And I think that I mean, obviously, you hear stories. You know, we go to the sports shows. I mean. So many hunters push that 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 personal limitations of what they're physically able to do as far as that shot. You know, again, whether it's distance, whether it's you know, as the as the animal is going through trees or obstacles, and you're taking the, those minor shots. Uh, I mean, there's a million things that are going to lead up to to what you know is capable in your head. Um, and the biggest thing that I say, I would never take a shot out in the field that I wouldn't take on the range. So again, like when I'm archery shooting, I have my 3D range at my house. I put myself in crazy situations, um, you know, holding the bow back for, for 90 seconds to where you are beyond shaky and then put that pin on it and determine, you know, can I fire or do I need to let down and readjust? Um, you're shooting from your knees, shooting from very, very, you know, unpositioned feet to where one foot's higher than the other. Um, again, but if it's something in the woods where if I've never done it before, more than likely I will pass on that opportunity and just keep pushing hard uh, to create another opportunity in a, in a situation that I am more comfortable with. Uh, but again, if you've never taken a shot on a target to know you're confident, it definitely should not be one taken on on game you know, here in Colorado. Um, so I think that's a, that's a huge thing to talk about. And again, more than anything, just make sure that all your equipment's dialed in. And the archery is probably the biggest thing. Um, again, shoot those broadheads. Make sure that your bow is tuned and flying great. Um, I can't tell you, at Bear Creek Lake, um, I was there shooting some, some archery equipment, and I can't tell you how many times I, I sat back and just watch some arrow flight that was just crazy. And it's hitting on target. So the arrow is actually making contact with the target in an accurate position, um, which is great. And a lot of guys get so caught up on where the arrow hits, they don't think about flight. But that arrow is coming in at, at some crazy angles. And you don't realize that on an animal, it's not about the point of contact where it touches the animal. It's where the arrow passes through. And some of these flight patterns, that arrow is going to hit a, a deer, an elk, a pronghorn, and it's going to go straight down, straight up. It's going to be angled back because that's the way the arrow is flying. Um, and you're not going to get that clean pass through the vital organs that you need to make that that clean harvest so again as much as the accuracy of the point of contact again i can't stress enough how much arrow flight is absolutely crucial and again the only reason i'm really hammering down on this is because by the time i watched a couple guys shoot at bass pro and a couple guys shoot at bear creek um i mean it's probably 15 20 percent um of the archers i saw shoot an arrow had poor arrow flight so again i think that's a, a major thing to think about whether that's your bow um needing tuned maybe it's just a couple of bad arrows um whatever the case may be uh you know make sure that you have a very set in grain you know confidence of hey these five arrows this bullet this ratio is to where I'm going to be successful when I get out there in the woods. Well, you know, on that flight of that arrow, as soon as that's not a true flight, you you increase the amount of deflection you might get by so much. 
I mean, it can be. I mean, that's it. It's just so much that goes into it. You know, and we talked about an ethical shot. When I I did a lot of whitetail hunting up in Minnesota when I was younger, and I I wasn't I wasn't patient enough to spend hours in a blind, except when I was archery hunting. So my my whitetail hunting was mostly walk and stalk. Well, I was going to end up shooting that rifle from awkward positions too, without sticks and without without a without any kind of a rest and I very seldom would take a shot that was more than thirty, forty yards, to tell you the truth. But I mean, that's that's, that's in thick brush yep. in Minnesota, of course. But Yep, yep. But no, I mean knowing knowing the personal limitations is absolutely everything. You know, create the hunting situations that you're gonna be in um when you're out there and again make sure that you can do that. Shoot, you know, in a hunting situation everybody shoots fast, but yet on the range they take their time. You know, think about how long it takes you to acquire that target accusation uh, and be able to pull that off. And then lastly, um, you know, I'm gonna start this pronghorn hunt this week. If any of our listeners right now wanna follow along, uh you can always go to the Botech Instagram page. I don't know how many of uh, everyone out there on Instagram. If you go to the Botech Instagram page, uh, I'll be taking over their feed this week. Uh, you can really follow along this pronghorn hunt and uh, you know see me sweating in a blind. You can see me stalking, using decoys, uh, doing a little bit of everything out there, chasing uh, Colorado pronghorn on the eastern plains. Uh, so I'm excited about that. So again, if anybody wants to follow along, uh, just follow all the, uh, the Botech archery uh, kind of social media outlets and you can kind of follow along, tag along, and uh, watch me try to, uh, to attempt some success here on the pronghorn. The thought of you sweating doesn't appeal to me, but I'll I, I might watch anyway. <laughs> hey, Nate, for some cool temperatures this week. <laughs> Nate, we got to run. Any last comment? Yeah, fishing is great. We didn't really touch on it right now, but uh, again, with the fall in the air, we are seeing water temperatures cool in the mountains, so it's bringing on the fall bite. It's August, even though it's August, it is officially started. The fall bite's taking place, uh, so that's going on in the mountains. And again, uh, if you have personal questions, kind of follow along on everything we're doing and uh, comment on the social media outlets. We'll hopefully uh, help you create some success on this uh, big game season here in Colorado. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you soon. We'll talk soon. Yeah, Nate Zielinski, Tightland Outdoors. We'll take a quick time out, and then we're going to go up the up the hill a little bit, and we're going to be joined by the folks from Kirk's Fly Shop up in Estes. We'll find out what's going on at the park and, and maybe some of the rivers around the state. Ontario Extreme Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to go right to the phones where we are joined by Kirk from Kirk's Fly Shop up in Estes. Good morning, Kirk. Good morning. I'll tell you what, the last time I checked in with you guys was late June, I think, and summer had not come to the high country yet. It has been a different year, hasn't it? It sure has. It seems like we've only had two weeks of summer of warm weather. But well, what are the conditions right now? Let's go through some of the waters you fish. Let's start up in the park itself. I know you, you and I have fished Rocky Mountain National Park together several times, and both from the rivers to the high alpine lakes. What's the status in the park? Uh, the park's fishing about as good as it can fish right now. So the water's come down, and um, fishing's been great. Dry fly action, high mountain streams, and the high mountain lakes um, have been doing great with ants and beetles. Yeah, you know, you really get that terrestrial. You know, too many people worry about matching a hatch, but you get up into some of those higher mountain streams and lakes, and there isn't a ton of insect life necessarily, and those fish are looking for a meal, and you throw a a big ant or a beetle or a hopper out there, and their eyes kind of light up with opportunity, don't they? They do, for sure. Anything kind of pretty good-sized and black seems to work real well. Yeah, they really do. You're, are you doing a lot of—in the streams, is it a lot of pocket water? Yeah, the streams, we're just fishing the pocket waters behind every rock. Um, just move up the stream fast and uh, and 
hit each little hole. You can normally get a little brookie or a brown. Yeah, it's and it's you know what? It's those streams up there aren't necessarily going to have the the most giant fish in the world, but it's the essence of fly fishing, Kirk. You're you're out there with a light fly rod. You don't need a very heavy rod. You're not making long casts, but you're in one of the most pristine, beautiful places in the world. And you're catching and releasing fish and just having a great time. It, it's the experience up there is unbelievable. But then you get up to some of those high alpine lakes that you and I have gone up to on horseback, and you, the the idea that there's no big fish goes away pretty quickly, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, those high mountain lakes are pretty deep, and they feed all year round, even if the ice is on there for for uh, nine months. They they are feeding under that ice and getting bigger. Now, when you're approaching those higher alpine lakes, are you changing your tactics a little? Yeah, we are. We're uh, um, more just walking the shore, looking for fish, and only casting the fish that you see is the general way. The water's nice and clear. You can really spot those fish. And are you using different presentations? Not necessarily. It's still dry dropper. I'm doing an anter beetle on the surface and dropping it with a little uh, little pheasant tail below it. Are, you know, I love fishing uh, hopper droppers. I know I don't know if the hoppers are going up that high, but down lower, I'm hearing reports all over the state they are. And I love to fish a big terrestrial because they usually splash on the water, so I don't have to make a delicate cast. And with my old eyes, I can see them, and then that dropper becomes uh, just deadly after them, too. What are your, some of your favorite droppers? Uh, well, little pheasant tail, copper beaded pheasant tail works great, copper beaded micro may. Probably my favorite dropper in the park is a sunken ant, though, an epoxy ant that sinks under the surface. They seem to like that the most. How, de- how deep below the dry do you put that? Only about 18 inches. Yeah, so it's that's not a cumbersome rig to cast either because of that. No, it's pretty simple, pretty simple setup. It really is. Let's talk about the big teal a little bit. I know you fish that. You guys, of course, you guys guide in the park, and you don't just guide fishing. You guide hiking trips, overnight camping trips in the park. But let's talk about the big Thompson. Uh, it's a controlled flow, obviously, and I've driven by it several times on I twenty five in the last few months, and the flows never really got high down below. But I probably that's probably because they were diverting water. I would imagine there was quite a bit of water at the top at one time. Yeah, we had a we had real high flows coming into the lake this year, but they diverted it for the reservoirs down below, and we had a pretty consistent flow below the dam. Never really got above 500 cfs, which isn't which is still pretty manageable to fish. And how is it fishing right now? It's fantastic right now. It's at uh, right around 175 cfs, which is an ideal flow for the Thompson, and um, just fishing great. Dry fly action in the evening for caddis, and midday more nymphing action. Now, you and I, um, we fished several stretches of that river, and, of course, the flood came through a few years ago. I did an article for the Denver Post. I think I reposted it not that long ago. I should probably put it up again. There was a period a few years ago after that flood where you pretty much were limited to the upper reaches of that river for good fishing because of the damage done to the channel, but they've rechannelized that, and they've rebuilt a lot of that. I'm hearing reports that the fishing is almost good from Loveland to Estes anymore. Is that what you see? Yeah, it almost seems like that lower stuff that they put the new structure in is almost even better now. So uh, it used to, right after the flood, it was the top six miles was the only thing that fished good, and now I'd say it's all about the same. And there's a lot of public access on that river, too. There is. Of the uh, 22 miles down canyon, 18 of it's public. That's fantastic. You guys also, uh, you float to Colorado. What are you hearing or seeing there? I was over there yesterday. Um 
it's fishing great. Uh, the main thing right now, we're still getting some PMD hatches and caddis on the surface, um, but mostly fishing big past rubber legs with midges underneath underneath the water. So are you gonna? Are we getting to that point? The Browns aren't, of course, in that real aggressive mode yet. But I know in the fall, when the Browns get really aggressive, I used to take big streamers and just like I was, almost like I was bass fishing against the bank, where I'd cast that big streamer up tight to the bank and strip it. What do you think? We're probably a month or two away from that yet. Yeah, I'd still give it about a month for that. Um, but that's a lot of fun when they're real aggressive and you're just throwing a streamer and almost hitting it on the shore. A streamer is something else I love to fish because it's big and ugly, and I don't have to make a great cast. <laughs> Bad presentation is almost better. Yeah, oh, yeah. People, you know, the biggest problem, a lot of fly fishermen, because they use the river to make the presentation, and they use the try to get a drift. And it's hard for them to get past that mentality that that streamer is a minnow or a leech, something really big and alive, and you've got to give it, you've got to visualize making that thing come alive. It's a little different, isn't it? got to get more aggressive with it. Yeah, you really yeah. do. But, boy, I'll tell you what, uh, there's times when I'll see guys downsized to little tiny tiny flies, and I'll go right behind them with that big streamer, and you'll get a reaction bite out of some of the biggest fish in the river. Right, for sure. Anything else you've heard that's fishing good? Uh, well, the park's fishing good, canyon's fishing good. The, the North Fork of the Big Thompson has been really good since the flood so that's another area i would recommend for sure well and if people want to see that north fork uh you and i did a television show there it's on my youtube channel uh the best of fishing with terry wickstrom it also karen didn't post it that long ago on my facebook page terry wickstrom outdoors there's a link to it you'll have to scroll down a little bit but at when you and i fished that we had a great time with smaller stream but what a fun place to fish it is and it it got hit pretty hard by the flood but it also uh, created a lot less branches that you can catch on. So it's uh, it's come back real well, and it's a lot easier to cast. Kirk, if people want to book a trip with you or just want to stop by the shop, get information, tell them how they find you. Uh, we're, well, kirksflyshop.com is our website, and we're right on Main Street, right across, right next to the Dairy Queen in Estes Park. Our phone number is 970-577-0790. And a lot of times you can book within a day or so. Yeah, we can get you in same day or one day's notice is a little makes it a little easier for sure. All right, my friend, you and I need to get on the water again soon. We do. We got to get fishing. All right, thank you. Good 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 talking to you and it sounds like the fishing is fantastic. Thanks, Terry. All right, that's Kirk from Kirk's Fly Shop. I'll tell you what the fall fishing is really starting to take off. I'm mean, we're we're still summer. It's August, right? But we didn't have a true lengthy summer, so the waters are cool. There's a lot of water in the rivers yet. Everybody I'm talking to is catching fish. We talked about the lakes, too. Um, Joe sent us, I don't know if he called or sent the text, but Karen told me that he was listening last week when we talked about Jackson Reservoir and the wipers. They went out there and just killed them. Uh, just so you know, Austin Parr is going to join us later on this hour. We're going to give you another update. So if you're looking for that place to fish, stay tuned. But we're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about a place to shoot. Ontario Extreme Outdoors, uh, 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And by the way, the deals they have on ATVs right now and side-by-sides to get you ready for hunting are unbelievable. Let's go to the phones now. And joining us from Colorado Clays is Corey. Good morning, Corey. Good morning, Terry. You know, your your name or your your 
Colorado Clays, at least, came up just a couple segments ago. We were talking about muzzleloader system. Is only a, a season is only a month away, and what has happened out there is a lot of the manufacturers didn't get their bullets out or they didn't have enough, and they're just coming in, and a lot of guys are having to buy different ammunition, and that can really change the way a muzzleloader shoots, and you've just got to get dialed in because you're going to shoot open iron sights with a muzzleloader, and with it tracking differently, you just have to get there. And you're one of the facilities where you can shoot a muzzleloader and from various positions. Well, that's funny you bring it up. I was just talking to JR this morning and this week. We've had a lot of calls wondering if we allow muzzleloaders, and, of course, we do, um, which a lot of people you know, think that we might not. And we were having conversations about ammunition and how it's very important to practice or to sight in with the same ammunition that you'll be using because that can, as you just said, you know, cause a lot of changes. Well, especially in a muzzle loader, and you have to use primitive sights. You can't use optics. And so, you know, you, I don't know what distances most guys like to sight in with on a muzzle loader. I'm hesitant to take real long shots unless I'm confident because I don't want to wound an animal. But with a different uh, bullet, you're going to get a different deflection. If you'd hit brush, you're going to get a different flight path. Uh, you're going to have to adjust your powder. And the only way to do that is shoot it. And, and then shoot it from different positions because the trajectory of the bullet, whether you're prone or on sticks or on a bench or standing, is always different. And you guys allow all of that. Yep, we sure do. We allow prone. Yeah, a lot of people call in um, asking that question as well. So just like you said, you can shoot from all the different positions. And, it, you know, practice makes perfect. And you can't expect to go out, you know, on your hunt or in the field. And, it, you know, if you haven't practiced all the different scenarios, um, you don't expect to have a successful hunt. Why don't you describe your pistol and rifle range to people? Okay, so the pistol and rifle range, we have 10 individual shooting stalls on pistol and rifle, so 20 lanes in total. The rifle range is 100, 100 yards. Um, we also have a 50-yard target um, for practice for those people that want to sight in at 50 yards. It's really unique in that each um, individual shooting stall has a nice sturdy bench that can be removed if you want to shoot um, prone. Um, and then there's a monitor in each stall that shows your target at 100 yards. So you don't need a spotting scope or binoculars or anything like that to be able to see your target. Um, you just, you know, look over your left shoulder up at the monitor, and you can see your target at 100 yards. It's, it's really great. People love it. Although I would have to get it on paper to see it. <laughs> well, that is, that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, are, do you have clinics to it? So you do a lot with sight, and do you do clinics? So we sure do. We started this, oh gosh, four or five years ago. Every Sunday, beginning mid-October, um, on Sunday mornings, we do a rifle sight in clinic. And they have, they're really popular. They've really taken off. As a matter of fact, I've already had some people calling, which got me off dead center this week trying to you know, get all these scheduled. But that's where you get some one-on-one um, with a uh, range safety officer that will help you get uh, Sight it in, go through the whole nine yards of teaching you how to do it while assisting you to make sure that, you know, everything gets on paper and that you're right where you want to be. Um, space is limited, and so we'll start taking reservations for those um, soon. We can even start this week. But, yeah, they're really popular, and people have definitely been taking advantage of that. Now, if with muzzleloader season so close, if I came in and needed some help or something, is that available or are there ways to get that? Oh, Sure. Especially during the week when we're not as busy, our range safety officers are outstanding. We've, we talk about our staff all the time. We have a great staff. And during the week, they have a lot of extra time where they can give one-on-one, whether it's with your pistol or your rifle or whatever. They're always willing to help 
um, during the week. Now, on the weekends, it can be a bit busier, and obviously their main goal is to, you know, monitor the safety of the people on the range and check people in and out, that type of thing. But if people can come during the week, and we're open every day of the week from 9 to 5, we are, however, closed on Tuesdays. But, yeah, that's a great time to get some, uh, you know, FaceTime with a, a person to help you out as well. You know, there's another uh, hunting season that's coming up that was started by the shotgun ammunition people to sell shells, and that's dove season. Dove season, yep. <laughs> it's, uh, it's around the corner. I talked to uh, Ed Gorman, who's the uh, terrestrial biologist for the Eastern Plains, and he said that uh, he's seeing just, you know, so many doves. He said, barring, barring some, you know, really uh, severe weather event, dove season is going to start off just incredible. And, boy, you know, a lot of people use dove season for a tune-up, but if you want to really go out and harvest some doves, that's one you should get in and practice your shotgunning with. Right. I can't, well, first of all, I can't believe it's almost halfway through August already. But, yes, dove season is one of our favorite times around here at Colorado Clays. Um, for personal reasons usually. but So, yeah, we do have the wobble trap, uh, which is a great way to warm up for um, dove seasons. Well, actually, any of the waterfowl seasons. We have two of those. Those are a lot of fun. Um, so those will start getting kind of busy with people getting tuned up for, for dove season out here. Um, and, and, of course, in addition to that, we just have the, you know, eight regular trap ranges and the sporting clays, of course, as well. And skeet. And skeet, yes. Yep, and you don't charge enough. How much do you charge for for trap or skeet? Uh, for round of trap or skeet, it's seven dollars and fifty cents. I've been tell how long have I been telling you to raise that? <laughs> it could be ten bucks. Nobody's going to care. Long time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's you, you guys. But you know what? You guys care about the people who come out there. You treat them like family. You're not trying. You're trying to build customers, not gouge people. And when, once people come out to Colorado Clay's. They, uh, they keep coming out because the way you guys are such great people and what a great facility you have. What else is going on out there? Well, lots has been going on. Actually, we've just had a, one of our biggest fundraisers of the year yesterday that um, benefited Ability Connections of Colorado. So that's always great. You know I love working with organizations to raise money for their causes. Um, lots of stuff going on today. And I was just, before I took off to come over here to get on the phone to chat with you, I had a guy in there that said, that Colorado Clays was kind of like the Disneyland of shooting. <laughs> oh, okay, well, that's so that, pretty yeah. neat. So that brought a smile to my face in a, in a funny way. But, yeah, lots of good stuff going on. Um, you have classes, too. Like I said, too. rifle range is busy, trap is busy. So. And you have classes, too. Yeah, we sure do. We do um, introductory shotgun clinics. Those have been pretty popular. We have one left. No, I guess we have September and October. We do concealed carry uh certification or the certificate classes on a regular basis we've got our next one of those coming up next friday night um then of course like we mentioned before the rifle side in clinics yeah we've got all kinds of courses and classes too how do they find you Corey? uh coloradoclays.com we are 30 minutes from downtown denver or just you know give us a call and come out and we'll be glad to show you around all right we need karen and i need to get out there soon and see you guys we haven't been out for a while so i know we miss you you should come out we will but you won't be there when i do so (laughs) (laughs) i'll do my best all right thanks Corey. okay thanks terry you bet colorado clays great facility great people coloradoclays.com we're going to take time out we come back we're going to talk some more fishing when austin parr is going to join us and we'll tell you where to get on the water in the next few days and have some success right here on terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan Take it to the limit. 
the Eagles. You know, I love to hear Austin talk fishing, but how do I go not listen to this? All right. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones because this gentleman always has a lot to contribute. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure. You always have great information. Uh, there's a lot going on. I tell you, we, uh, last week I mentioned that the wipers were going pretty heavy at Jackson Lake, and a listener named Joe said he heard that one out there, and they just killed him. But I made some notes because I've been checking myself, water levels, stream flows, getting out and fishing some of the ponds, doing some different things. And the first thing I got here is good fishing but different, I put. High water, bigger lakes, bait are different. It's just a crazy year. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't catch fish, but if you're going to use your playbook from last year, it probably won't work. Yeah, you have to throw that playbook from last year and even years prior really out right now for a lot of the fisheries that we're looking at, whether you're fly fishing or conventional fishing. And, you know, it, it's the same thing going that we just mentioned there with my guiding on Chatfield and Cherry Creek. Cherry Creek is a little bit more on schedule. There's a lot of bait fish out there. The trolling bite has been good. But you shift over to Chatfield, and in the middle of August, you should not be having 100 fish days fishing live bait. But that is exactly what's going on out there. The bait fish are behind schedule, but the fishing is absolutely phenomenal. Well, you're looking, you mentioned Chatfield and the number of fish you're catching. And typically, any of these shad-based lakes by now, these fish are going to be suspended eating shad. But you're right, the bait are behind at Chatfield. Now, Cherry Creek, because it doesn't have a huge flow through it, and it doesn't vary that much in depth. It fishes a lot more like a natural lake, and you get the cycles don't change as much. But Chatfield, Chatfield fishes like a reservoir. It goes up and down. Of course, we're going to be. It's going to be interesting in a couple of years to see how it fishes. But even next year, yeah. And so, so I'm hearing that 2020 that that lake will be up. Oh, so so we're looking at that. But right now, you're you know you were talking. You and I talked earlier. You know, using live bait jigs, uh, leeches in particular, on a jig head. And that's a structure bite. That means the fish aren't out suspended. They're holding on pieces of structure like points and edges. Is that what you're seeing? Absolutely. And what's also very unique right now is that techniques like lindy rigging and bottom bouncers, although effective when you get on top of fish, aren't as effective as stopping and anchoring and casting for the fact that these fish are so piled up on individual structure points that you can legitimately sit on one spot and have 30 or 40 or 50 fish come in the boat in a short ordered period of time. And the live bait has been really good out a little bit deeper, say 16, 17, 18 feet of water on the structure points. But as you move a bit shallower, more in that under 12 foot of water range, that's where we're seeing techniques like jigging wraps and blade baits come in. And the fish are much more active in that shallower area, whereas a little bit deeper, it's a very slow rod tip only kind of presentation with those jigs. So you're just kind of scooting that jig along with little two or three inch long poles reeling down your slack and doing everything you can to not reel the jig with your reel, not move it with your reel, but everything has to be on the tip of your rod. That is one of the most incredible points that we don't emphasize enough. Now, if you're casting a jigging wrap or a blade bait, you're getting a reaction bite. You might even throw a crankbait into those shallow waters. Absolutely. And and you're going to be working your reel handle when you do that. But I tried, when I used to do the presentations at ISE, I used to overemphasize the fact that if I'm doing a finesse, you know, the difference between a feeding or a finesse presentation with soft plastics compared to a reaction presentation is that when I'm feeding it, I've got to get, be more subtle and the bite's going to be more subtle a lot of times. And I told people, I said, I've been fishing for more years than I care to admit, and I'm not good enough to feel what's going on in that rod tip if I'm turning the reel handle. 
It's completely true. And I, you know, it's to the point where one person will be in the boat and reeling too much or moving that jig a little bit too fast. And the other person's really getting dialed in and just barely scooting that jig along. And when that happens, you can just lift that rod tip up because most of these fish are not really thumping the tip of your rod very hard. It's just you lift up, and I kind of describe it to my clients as almost hooking a wet towel underneath the water where it just is a little bit heavy, but it's coming with you. It's not a snag, but it's a fish. And you let you, you lift up just a little bit, drop a little slack to him, reel down, and then set that hook. And it, it, it makes all the difference in the world. You have these fish very active and feeding heavily. But if you have your presentation slightly wrong, everything can be off, and you can have fish that are that are actively eating but not eating the jig on the end of your rod. I'll, I'll tell you what always embarrasses me is I take Karen out, and she can handle a jig in a finesse situation better than anybody I know. And once she starts putting on a clinic, all I'm doing is netting fish. So, <laughs> so she just has a knack for exactly what you're talking about. She just knows. She just visualizes that jig so well. And that's what it really comes down to. Well, we've still got a few minutes left. Chatfield is on fire for the walleyes and smallmouth bout, both or mostly walleyes? Both both species are on fire. I mean, all your riprap structure, the smallmouth are going crazy on. Lots of crawfish presentations like tubes and med rigs. Various smaller Texas rig craws are also producing. Sankos are producing topwaters in the morning. Um, some some smallmouth are on that offshore structure as well. You'll find pockets of smallmouth and then pockets of walleye. So looking out deeper can be good. But the shore angler is having a, a great time at Chatfield right now. You can catch fish all over that riprap and all over your, your little um, contour and, and structure changes on the shorelines where it changes from rock to sand. The bass are everywhere all over it. I used to love to go out there, and I don't know if this still holds up, and I used to love to go out there. And I I didn't have spot lock then. I'd have to use my trolling motor with my foot, but I would spot lock now. And the edges of those gravel pits on the uh, on the end of the inlet end of the lake, you know, the fish Absolutely. should be the fish should be down towards. They'd be deeper on those edges uh, during the middle of the day, but then in the evening and mornings they'd be up on top, and you could find a spot there and just sit there. Yep, and that's the same thing that I'm finding. And and each day it's changing a little bit, but all those little small structure points, little small breaks, small edges, you can find one spot that, that it's as, as big as, as, you know, 50 feet by 50 feet, and you can catch 100 fish off of one spot legitimately in some areas out there. All right, real quick, where else, uh, next few days, where should people go fishing? If you're not thinking about Chatfield and you're a fly fisherman, right now it's been it's going to be about the best fall that we've seen in a long time, especially in comparison to the last several years. The flows are starting to come down, and the dry dropper fishing has been fantastic in places like the Pooter, Clear Creek, various smaller beaver ponds in South Park. The, the plow in South Park's been good. I've uh, heard North is still fishing well. I've heard North Park too, and I've heard the hoppers are showing up. Yeah, and I mean, it's tough to really select one spot and say this is going to be your one good spot because everything is going to be fishing well, particularly, like I said, if you like those smaller streams, which are coming down a little bit better first right now. Colorado's still running a little bit high, but I guarantee you go out there and throw a few jigs on the river and you can have a lot of good success doing that and or throwing a, a bigger nymph rig or hoppers along the bank. I mean, it's one of those times of year where, especially trout fishing, you can do all kinds of different things and have success in the rivers, whereas the lakes have been somewhat slower, although still producing really well, um, more so than what you would be figuring this time of year. Now, the lakes, um, like I'm saying, you have to approach every one of these lakes almost differently. You go yeah. out, if you go out I-76, and it's uh, they've never had this much water late in the year. Exactly. 
It's just different. And so everything I'm hearing out there is that, you know, there's a lot of, of shot in a lot of those lakes. I've been doing a lot of guiding in the front room, keeping me away from some of those lakes out northeast. But, you know, with those lakes higher, there's been several good shad spawns in a lot of those. And I've been hearing the trolling bite has been good. So getting out over the, the main basin with some of your, your flicker shads and your, your Salmo hornets and getting them up high in the water column behind a planter board can be really good, just right down the main basin and ignoring the structure like we were talking about on Chatfield. Now, we only got a couple minutes left, but one thing I wanted to talk to you, and we're going to have to really hurry. I know dove season's coming. I know you love upland game. I talked to Ed Gorman. He said the doves are everywhere. Is your heart starting to flutter a little? Oh, man, we're getting ready for it. I've certainly seen a lot in my neck of the woods coming down, and, and we're really looking forward to that opening week. You know, it's a great time to, to get dialed in on wing shooting for various other seasons coming later in the year. And the nice thing about Colorado is that, you know, besides elk hunting and deer hunting, Colorado has some of the best public land access for dove hunting all across the board. It goes everywhere from the, the Arkansas River Basin to the Platte River Basin to all the way out and all your walking access properties. The access is there. The birds are going to be here, and it's going to be a fantastic season to get out and take care of some doves. We'll probably have to get you on soon and talk more about upland game doves, especially since they're starting. I have to let you go, but you talked about walking access. Uh, Ed told me that they have expanded the walk-in access now to include Eastern Plains Big Game. I have heard some of that as well, and they're, they have the new Big Game walk-in access, and certainly uh, looking forward to seeing some of that new access and the, the new publication that will be coming out here soon. Well, I, I don't think people realize the, well, this, the links that Parks and Wildlife goes to give us access in this state. We are so blessed. Absolutely. It's fantastic. And as a sportsman in this state, whether you're looking to fish or hunt, you have great opportunities all the way across the board. How do people find you if they want something, Austin? So I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle, 2645 South Santa Fe Drive, which is six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you so much, Terry. I certainly appreciate it. You bet. We're going to wrap it up for that for today. And we're going to, but I, hey, next week on The Fan, there's going to be a Broncos training camp special, so our show won't be on. However, you will be able to catch a special edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN, which also broadcasts on 98.1. Uh, and it'll also um, be, you'll be able to stream it online. And it's going to be hosted by Chad Lachance. So a different station, same time, hosted by Chad Lachance. Special edition, tune that in. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in ESPN Sports on 104.3 The Fan.